I'm preaching from the book of Matthew chapter 16. We, we go verse by verse through the Bible. And I have discovered when you go verse by verse to the Bible, you find things that you normally wouldn't find if you just read and skip around and go here and go there, and go here and go there. And usually we're not there, we're over there somewhere else. We're not where we need to be when we're bouncing around in the scriptures. So we, we know that God takes us thoroughly through his power and his grace while we take the scriptures and go through the scriptures. Now, before I have you stand for the reading of God's word, we'll be uh, in Matthew 16, verse 5 through 20 this morning. I want to make mention, first of all, Jesus fed the 5,000, which was about, not counting the women and children, 12,000, 15,000 people down in Bethsaida, down in the lower part of Galilee. After he fed them out of uh, five fish and two loaves of bread, or five loaves of bread and two fish. He fed them. They took up 12 baskets full of remains. Aren't you glad that God's concerned about the remains? Amen. Sometimes I feel more like a remain than anything else, but God is concerned. So he picked up, they picked up 12 uh, baskets full of the remains, the fragments, the scripture says. And then from there he went up high north in the Sea of Galilee. He went up into Tyre and Sidon section. And there there was a, a woman that uh, God poured out his blessing upon this Gentile Sophronician woman and healed her daughter that was possessed of a demon and the devil, when she got home, the devil was gone. Amen. Some of you need when you get home to find the devil gone. Amen. And so Jesus Christ is in the upper section and he goes over into Magnola. Actually, um, I think it's called um, Manuta or something like that. I wrote it down here so I wouldn't be totally lost in, in, the, in the word. Dalmanutha. Dalmanutha. Who in the world would name a providence Dalmanutha? But anyway, but nonetheless, there in that area, and he took a ship to Dalmanutha or Magnola. And Magnola is actually where Mary Magdalene came from, a very pagan, very uh, idolatrous area, a place of false gods and false worship. And so uh, Jesus is there. He's come into uh, Magnola. There in the first four verses, last Sunday we talked about how the scribes and the Pharisees came and they tried to get Jesus to prove himself, tried to prove that he was uh, truly the Messiah. And Jesus Christ said, I'm going to give you all the proof you'll ever need. I'm going to die, be buried, and raise again from the grave. That's all the proof you'll ever need. As Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the well or the heart of the earth, so shall the Son of Man spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Thank God Jesus Christ arose from the grave. And so after he has this little episode with the scribes and the Pharisees, he goes in the ship and he leaves uh, Dalmanutha and he heads across the water there to a place where he is going to uh, end up in Caesarea Philippi. And he's going north. He's going higher and higher and higher. And as we read the scriptures, God takes us higher and higher and higher. Amen. 
Aren't you, aren't you glad the Bible is a lifter-upper? It's a pepper-upper. It's an encourager. The Bible is an awesome book that will sweep down in the bottom of our soul and lift us up to the heights of heaven. Amen. And so we find Jesus Christ. He has left, went across the waters, left Magdala, and went over into an area close to uh, Caesarea and Philippi. Now, that begins our reading. Verse 5, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 16, verse 5. And when his disciples were gone or had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. We're in trouble. You know, basically what the disciples are saying, we don't have no bread. And when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do ye not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the, uh, of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves or the 4,000, and how many baskets ye took up. How is it then that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then understood they how he had bade them not to beware of the leaven of the bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I want to use for a subject, Jesus is the real article. Jesus is the real God. Amen. You may be seated. It's amazing. Jesus Christ in Bethsaida fed the 5,000, which was a total of probably 12 to 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And they gathered up 12 baskets of fragments that remained. After he dealt with the Syrophoenician woman and began to get up the higher northern part of Galilee, in, the, in, Bethsaida, in Bethsaida, he's feeding basically Jewish men and their families in the feeding of the 5,000. But when he gets to the northern part of Galilee in the Gentile inhabited area, he is feeding 4,000 Gentiles, basically most of them uh, not Jews at all, and they're Gentile families, and Jesus feeds them the 4,000, which would total probably eight or 10,000 people, not counting the women and the children. And uh, he did it with seven uh, loaves and a few fish. And when they picked up the fragments that remained, there were seven large baskets full. And so Jesus leaves that area, goes to where we talk about, and there uh, the Pharisees come and confront him, and Jesus tells them, I'm going to die, I'm going to raise again from the dead, and that's the sign that you need to look for. I am the true Messiah. And, and then he crosses the water, uh, going, leaving, uh, leaving Dalmatha, or Magdala, and he comes there to a place where... They, they're on the ship, and as they're going across the sea in the northern part, now they're going, listen to me, they're going to the high north of Galilee. 
That's going to mean something in just a little bit. They're going high north in Galilee. They're going up into the Gentile territory where Jesus has been there for several, several weeks, probably even months. He's been in that area ministering, showing the disciples that God is a God of not just the Jews, but also to the Greeks and the Gentiles as well. And so um, he's discipling his disciples. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Jesus disciples his disciples. And so he, uh, he, uh, they cross the, the, the sea, they get out on shore, and they're getting close to Caesarea Philippi. And as he's walking away from the ship, Jesus Christ says to them, uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Oh, the disciples said, now we're in trouble because we forgot to bring bread. We are in trouble we don't have no bread. Mark chapter 8, verse 14 says that they, uh, in fact, they said, um, now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither, the, neither had they, any, they in the ship with them more than one loaf. So they said, we can't go back to the ship. They've got away from the ship. They're, they're walking along, and here they are walking along, and all of a sudden Jesus Christ says, beware of the, 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 the leaven, uh, the bread of the, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware. And they said, oh, man, we're in trouble. We forgot to bring bread. Jesus wasn't talking about bread here. He was talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But they were scared to death. Now, in the reading that we just read, you find no bread, verse 5 through 7. You find plenty of bread, verse 8 through 10, where Jesus reminded them, how many loaves did you take up? They said 12 baskets full. How many loaves did you take up? The feeding of the 4,000, they said seven full baskets full. And why is it that you don't understand what I'm saying? Jesus Christ is a true bread. So in verse 5 and 7, no bread. Verse 8 and 10, plenty of bread. I mean, oh, Jesus Christ can provide plenty of bread. He can also provide plenty of joy, plenty of forgiveness. Jesus is the God of plenty, and he'll touch your life. But then the Pharisees, we find they have bad bread. Bad bread. Now, the only kind of bread that I find that's bad is molded bread. Now, I, I'll eat stale bread, but when it comes to the green stuff showing up, I'm done. I'm done. But I love bread. I love biscuits. I love cathead biscuits. I love homemade bread. I love store-bought bread. I even love the heel on a loaf of bread. I love French toast. I love bread. When, when they talk about a storm coming in Missouri, everybody runs to the store because the storm's coming, the snowstorm's coming, and you'll go to the milk rack, it's gone. The milk has done been bought. You go to the bread rack, it's gone. And all you can buy is hot dog buns and hamburger buns because nobody wants to be left out of milk and bread. The Pharisees had bad bread. Now, when I say bad bread, God is trying to say, Jesus Christ is saying, they have leaven in their bread, false doctrine in their bread. 
And so the false doctrine is there. The disciples, they just, uh, they just lose it. Oh, Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes or the Sadducees. Oh, it's because we didn't bring no bread. Peter says, I told you, Thomas, we didn't have enough bread. Where's it at? Thomas said, still in the ship. Thomas says, we can't go back to the ship. We already left the ship. We're gone. Aren't you glad that Jesus left plenty of bread in the ship? We can go back to the ship. Amen. We can go back to worship. We can go back to the church. But Jesus Christ has stockpiled bread for the coming storm that is coming. There's the bread of the word of God. But Jesus is the maker of the bread. And the Pharisees and Sadducees are the maker of bad bread because they put in bad doctrine. Hello, leaven is a picture of raising, overcoming the bread. You, if you know anything about the Scriptures, the Passover was no leaven. The week of Passover, no leaven. You know anything about the feeding of the 5,000? No leaven. It was around Passover time in Bethsaida. But you get to the feeding of the 4,000, probably leavened bread. And so when Jesus comes across with the boys across the sea, and he's getting ready to go really high north to Caesarea Philippi, he says, uh, beware of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, in, in uh, Mark chapter 8, and by the way, you find the same story, Mark 16 and Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 8, verse uh, 15, Jesus Christ says, beware of the Pharisees and the Herod, the leaven of Herod. So is there a controversy there? No, there's not a controversy there. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. That is not a controversial statement. And let me explain it to you. Herod the Great, of course, he was the one that tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. Herod was one who took pride in building the temple. And he claimed, actually took the name of the temple. They call it Herod's Temple. It's actually not. It's Zerubbabel's Temple. Actually, it's not even Zerubbabel. It's the Lord God's house. But he claimed it. Herod's temple, and most people just refer to it as Herod's temple because Herod was putting in the extra frillies and the extra add-ons and so forth to make it more gorgeous. And so in the process, the Romans decided that the priesthood would not be in Aaron's tribe any longer. They're going to choose the priest. And so the Sadducees now hold the priesthood position. And it is the Herodians that choose the Roman soldiers chose the Roman leader, Caesar and, and Augustine and Herod and them. They chose the, the, the high priest, the priest in the temple. And because they chose it, they became followers of the Herodians. And that's why Jesus Christ said, beware of the leaven of Herod. Amen? Now, the Pharisees, they believed in, whoo, resurrection. The Pharisees believed in a God of miracles. The Pharisees believed in God's holy word. The Pharisees believed in life after death. The Pharisees believed in the, the miraculous one coming. The Pharisees believed in the coming Messiah. The Pharisees believed the, the great and mighty God of Israel. Yes, they did. They did. They did. But they slipped in leaven called thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt. And they made the whole living for God a bunch of do's and don'ts. 
they got into legalism. And that's what Jesus is referring to, the washing of hands, the legalism, beware of the leaven, the legalism of the Pharisees. Well, they say, well, what would be the leaven of the Sadducees? Anything goes, let her rip. You know, because the, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe the Bible was in, the inherent word of God. Now, isn't that the kind of priest you want to have in your temple? Doesn't believe in the true and mighty God. They, they believe it's just all here. And the Sadducees simply had the attitude, well, there's no such thing as angels, no, so, no such thing as miracles. Uh, you can do the way you want. You've got you to gotta concern yourself with how you dress. You've got to concern yourself with how you act. You've got you to gotta get it together here. You know, you've got to live your best life here. Live your best life now. That's called liberalism. A form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And the Herodians filtered that in, and also with the Roman rule and the Sadducees complying to the Herodians and Herod's stuff, they became liberal. And their doctrine was liberal. It doesn't matter what you do, just so you look good. It doesn't matter what you do, just so everybody thinks you're all right. Doesn't matter what you do, as long as you're sincere. The Pharisees, no, 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 no. You're going to hell. It's going to be more than just sincerity. You've got, you got to keep the law. Conservative is basically not just conservative, legalism. And so Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Sadducees, because they will corrupt and they will produce nothing but bad bread. So when Jesus strikes the shore, they're getting close to Caesarea Philippi. He says to his disciples as he gets off the ship and they get away, away uh, beware of the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the, immediately the disciples panic. said, we can't run back to the ship and get the bread. There's only one loaf there. You know, uh, he's talking about bread. And Jesus Christ says, wait a minute. Hold on, boys. Hold on. Don't you remember the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? How many loaves did they have? Five. How many fish did they have? Two. How many baskets full did you pick up? Twelve. Oh, okay, boys. We just got through feeding 4,000 Gentiles and their family, probably eight, 10,000 people. How many loaves did you have? Seven. How many fish? Oh, a few. That's called sardines. Nasty. You say, well, I like sardines. You don't have to tell me that. I can smell you a mile away. How many loaves you pick up? I mean, baskets, fragments, 12. Oh, you don't get it, boys. Oh, ye of little faith. What's the matter to you? Don't you know that the bread of life is walking with you? You don't have to worry about joy when the joy of the Lord is with you. You don't have to worry about forgiveness when the Son of God walks with you. You don't have to worry about life. You don't have to worry about death when the Son of God is with you. He's the life, the way, the truth, and the life. You don't have to worry. I am the bread of life. And Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 
Hallelujah. Then they understand. Look at verse 11. How is it that you do not understand? I speak it not to you concerning the bread, and ye should beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then, verse 12, understood they how that he had bade them not beware the leaven of the bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees. They said, oh, oh, now I get it. And that's my prayer for you. Oh, oh, now I get it. Because if you don't have a, oh, 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 now I get it, you're not going to make heaven your home. You've got to have that, oh, 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 now I get it. If God's really going to do something dynamic in your life. And so Jesus is basically telling them, I am the bread of life. John chapter 6, verse 35, the whole chapter is about the bread, manna from heaven, the bread of life. And Jesus Christ said, your fathers, Moses didn't give you the bread of life, but my father in heaven. Verse 35 of John 6 says, and Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You say, what is that verse saying? I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never Thirst. What is that verse saying? Jesus is our bread and water. But it isn't just any old bread. It's living bread. Iron fortified. Faith fortified. Spirit fortified. Life fortified. Nourishment fortified. Living bread. So it's our bread and water. Real bread from heaven that you'll never thirst again. And real water from heaven that you'll never thirst again. You'll never hunger again, never thirst again. Isn't that beautiful? So Jesus is our bread and our water. It's not just any old bread. and water. I don't, you know, I, really, I love homemade bread. Judy makes good homemade bread. Judy makes awesome homemade bread. She makes homemade bread better than Lambert. She makes good homemade bread. In fact, every now and then, I want to pick one up and throw it at Joshua, one of the grandkids. <laughs> Let's get that urge in me. She makes good bread. But, you know, I wouldn't want to live my whole life just eating bread and drinking water. But Jesus Christ says, my bread has meat in it has protein in it. My bread is the staple of life. My bread is eternal life. My bread will satisfy you, and my water will be a well in you springing up into everlasting life, and you will never thirst again. My water is life. Jesus is the real article. Amen. He's the real, genuine son and lamb of God. So you can go back to the ship because Jesus left a lot of bread in the ship. But why go back to the ship when you can walk with the master of the ship? You can walk with the God of glory, and he can just make bread for you as you walk along. Amen? I mean, you're just walking along. And you say, I'm kind of hungry. And the Lord just pinches all a piece of bread and hands it to me. He says, there. I start chewing it. I get it all gone. I say, I'm kind of hungry again. Lord just breaks off another piece of bread and hands it to me. I just eat it. 
And I say, I'm still hungry. And the Lord says, that's what I want you to be. I want you to continue to be hungry for my bread because if you'll eat of my bread, you'll never hunger again. I'll keep good tabs on you. I'll take good care of you. Amen? Hey, with God, you can eat all you want. Hello? You know what's good about the Bible? It's a big buffet. And none of the calories are, well, actually the calories in God's buffet will kill your flesh. But it'll revive your spirit. Amen. You can't overeat God's word. Now, if you overeat God's word and don't live his word, then you become a Pharisee, squat, squatty, fat, and lazy. But we take the word of God. And don't even make no comments right there. I got the best congregation, but sometimes they have blow-by. It's a fact. And so Jesus is going to take his disciples. I love people fanning themselves right now because the other day it was, and I'd rather see you doing this. And, amen. Now, some folks say, I like cold weather. Yeah, you're an idiot too. All them people I know that says, I like cold weather. When it really got cold, they didn't like it as much as they let on. So Jesus is going to take them and give them a lesson not on bread only. Now he's going to take them and give them a lesson on water. And so in verse 13, and I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to head into some pretty rich areas. Jesus Christ takes them after he tells them, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, you need my pure bread. You need my pure water. And then when Jesus comes into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asks his disciples, verse 13, saying, whom do men say I, the Son of Man, am? I love that. He gives them the answer when he asks the question. I love it, I love it, I love it. You know, Ezekiel was called the son of man. Jesus is called the son of man in Luke. He kind of gives them the answer as they get started, but they weren't bright enough to catch it. He says, whom do men say the son of man am? Verse 14. And they said, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah and one of the, and one of the prophets. He said unto them, but whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto thee, but my father, which art in heaven. Let me tell you, friends, the father God must reveal salvation to your soul or you will not be saved. Verse 18, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter, little rock, little pebble, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Christ, Jesus the Christ. Now, 
This is a beautiful picture. Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. That's high north, way high. It's 35 miles from northern Galilee, way up high. It's so high, it's where the Jordan River begins. Caesarea Philippi is there at Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, at the base of Mount Hermon, was the beginning of water coming out of a cave that produced the Jordan River. And the Jordan River would roar down into Israel, down into the Galilee, out the other side of Galilee, down into the Dead Sea. Jordan River would be the life stream, the artery life of Israel. And from Mount Hermon, there'd be snow caps year-round up there, and water would come out of that cave gushing out. And at that cave, Jesus Christ comes to that wall, Hermon, the highest mountain in the region. In fact, I think that's where Mount Transfiguration took place. And there at the bottom of the base of that Mount Hermon was a huge rock. That rock protruded up like a tall fortress. At the bottom of that rock is, was a big cave, and out of that cave gushed the waters, the, the headwaters of Jordan. It was also a place where the god Pan was worshipped. It was a place of heathenism, a place of cults, false gods. It's a place where they worshipped the half man and half goat. The man had a head of a man, a man, but feet like a goat. It was, it was there they offered sacrifices to the god Pan. Goats, all kinds of vile iniquity. It was there at Caesarea Philippi where it was Roman, Greek mythology and wicked pagan worship. And Jesus comes right to the place where the Jordan River protrudes out and he says, right there where that big temple is, that false god, that god Pan, that false temple. Who do men say the Son of Man is? And they're standing there looking at that water gushing out. They're looking all around at these pagan gods and this pagan temple. And Jesus has, says, who do men say the Son of Man is? And they gave three. Actually, they gave and one of the other prophets because they wanted to say, maybe I missed one. But they gave three, John the Baptist, Elijah, and Jeremiah. They said, some say you're John the Baptist. Where'd they get that idea? They got that idea from Herod Antipas, who put to death John the Baptist. And when he heard of what Jesus was doing out there healing and performing miracles, he said, oh, John the Baptist is back from the dead. Herod says, oh, John the Baptist, he's going to get me. 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 And he started a rumor that Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead. That was a rumor from Herod. Then you have Elijah. And why would they think that Elijah might be, that Jesus might have been Elijah? Now, we know that John the Baptist was a forceful preacher. He was hard. Repent, kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
So it was Jesus. So there was likeness about Jesus with John the Baptist. Jesus was not just that sugarcoat, easy-go-lucky Messiah. He was good. He was compassionate. But he was very raw in many things he said. He's very to the point. He'd even go to places called someone a hypocrite. He was a hard-hitting preacher. Don't ever get the idea that Jesus was an old softy, mushy, and gooey. He was a hard-hitting preacher. And that's one reason they thought maybe he was John the Baptist. And, of course, Herod had spread that rumor. Well, Elijah, too, was a great prophet. And Elijah was 800 years before Jesus. And they thought Elijah had come back. Now, where did they get that idea? Well, they got that from the next to the last verse in Malachi chapter 4. In verse 5, God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, notice he says, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Did you know when Jesus Christ came, he came just before the, uh, Eli, uh, John the Baptist came just before the coming of the great day, the Messiah. And Jesus proves that out in the Mount Transfiguration at the bottom of Her Mount Hermon. But the great and dreadful day is divided. The great Messiah comes, he's already come. But the dreadful day of the Lord is coming. The dreadful day of the Lord is coming. So they say, well, that, some say you're Elijah. And they thought so because of that next to the last verse, smallest chapter in Malachi. Then there's Jeremiah. Why did they think Jesus was Jeremiah? Not the disciples, but why did they think Jer Jesus was Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He was the one crying. He was compassionate. He was sobbing. He, he, and they saw a side of Jesus that was so soft and so tender and so compassionate. And, and I believe Jesus was a... Uh, the man of God, I think even when he rebuked people, there was tears coming out of his eyes. I, I believe when Jesus was even hard on people, he, he cried. I believe Jesus was a crier. And I think that's why they thought he was Jeremiah. But there is a myth about Jeremiah. There is a story that they had about Jeremiah. And I want to share that with you. I'm not saying I necessarily believe it, but there was this myth and this story about Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived in the day of Babylonian captivity. And he, he, they believed that Jeremiah went into the temple before the temple was finally destroyed. They believed that Jeremiah went and got the Ark of the Covenant and hid it. He hid it somewhere. Now, there's, there's people in Israel that believe this today. Jewish people in Israel, some of them believe this today. They believe that Jeremiah went and hid the Ark of the Covenant somewhere in a cave somewhere, a secluded place. And they believed that Jeremiah, before the coming of the Lord, Jeremiah will return the Ark of the Covenant to the temple. I don't necessarily hold to that, but, you know, we're talking about who they think Jesus is. And trust me, you can get some weird stuff out there if you start asking people, who do you think God is? Well, I think God is just everything. I think God is the hair on your head. Well, the truth is, some of you just about ain't got no God at all. But anyway, I believe God is the air we breathe. I believe God is the water. The truth is, everything we have is because of God's grace, because of God's mercy. Amen? 
And they said, oh, one of the prophets. And Jesus Christ said, no, 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 no. Disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus Christ says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, verse 17. And I say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he says to Peter, Blessed art thou. When Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the living Son of God, Jesus Christ says, Peter, you wouldn't know that if the Father hadn't revealed it to you. Uh, Peter, you're not as bright as you think you are. Everything you get comes from God. Listen to me, you're not as super sane as you think you are. What you got came from God if you got it at all. And Jesus Christ says, Peter, my Father in heaven has revealed this unto you. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Meaning, the son of Jonah, Barjona, son of Barjona, and Jesus Christ says, blessed art thou, Peter. He changes his name. Was Simon, changed Peter. And Peter means little rock or pebble. And he said, my father, is not revealed, my father has revealed this unto you. You didn't get this on your own. And he blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed as unto you, but my father which is in heaven. And he said, upon this rock, this big rock, I think he pointed at the pebbles in the water, stream coming out of the cave. I believe he said, Peter, you're like one of them pretty little pebbles in the water. Uh, thou art Peter, uh, blessed art thou Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed as unto you, but my father which is in heaven. And he said, uh, he said, but look, upon this rock, and I believe he pointed at Mount Hermon. I believe he pointed at that huge rock that was gushing water out. Upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And I want you to know God's going to send a river through your soul bigger than the river that flowed from Mount Hermon down to the northern part of Israel into the Sea of Galilee, out of the Sea of Galilee into the Dead Sea, and one day that river will turn the Dead Sea into life, and it will be beaming with fish and blessing, and the desert will bloom because Jesus Christ is the river of life. Amen. Hallelujah. And so they would take water, the pagan worshipers would take water out of this Caesarea Philippi, and they'd worship their false gods. Jesus Christ said, no, no, take water from me because I am the water of life. I'm the true water of life. And he said, I will send my roaring water down to Israel, and I will wash out the debris, and I will bring life eternal. Just as the Jordan was the artery life stream of Israel, Jesus Christ is the artery life stream of the whole world, Israel, and you and I. Isn't that beautiful? Let me show you something else. I've got plenty of time. Amen? As long as you've got plenty of cushion. I'm not going to go too long. It's not even close. Don't worry. You ever wonder why Jesus Christ, you know, I love the phrase, Upon this rock, the belief that Jesus Christ is the eternal, pre-existing God, the Christ, the living Son of God, upon that belief, that rock, upon that belief system, Jesus Christ will build his church 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the fact that Jesus Christ will put in our bedrock of our soul, the river of living water, the bread of life, and we know that Jesus Christ is the true Messiah. He is the real article of truth and life and power. He is the sovereign God of the universe. Upon that rock, Jesus Christ said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. Death can't prevail against it. Sickness and disease can't prevail against it. Time can't prevail against it. I'll build my church and it will stand forever because I am the creator of the church for it is the church of Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered, verse 9, why Jesus Christ said to Simon, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven? And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was the Christ. Now, why would they tell, why would Jesus tell the disciples, don't tell anybody? Because Jesus had a time to die, a appointed time. And he didn't want them taking him and crucifying him before he got every sheep in the fold. He wanted it all done, so he didn't want it to speed up. Now, the question is, why did God give, why did Jesus give Peter the keys? Shoot, he'd been the last one I'd gave the key ring to. Now, Jesus was not making Peter the first pope. Nor has the keys been handed down, second pope, third pope, fourth pope, fifth pope. If that were true, somewhere they lost the keys. I'm not being critical. I'm just saying that this is a type. Peter would hold the keys. Now, there's a lot of charismatic teaching on whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. I'm not against intercession. I think we ought to join together and bind uh, and fight the devil. I think we ought to get together and loose people and pray for people and ask God's blessing. But let's look at the closer look at this. Peter is going to be the one. He has the key. He's going to be the first one to announce the day of Pentecost. He's going to introduce the day of Pentecost and the ushering in of the Holy Ghost, preaching the first sermon. He is also going to be the leader of the pack, but he's not going to be the Pope. If he had been the Pope, then James would not have been the superintendent of the church. And Paul would not have rebuked Peter. So obviously, James and Paul didn't get the memo if he was a pope. But there is a scriptural basis why God said, I will give Peter the keys. Because Jesus Christ is going to remove the keys from the temple. The temple is going to be destroyed in 70 A.D., Jesus Christ is going to take the keys away from the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's going to hand them to Peter. It's found in Isaiah 22. Let's go there just for a minute. Isaiah 22. How many would like to know what that's all about? Isaiah 22. Jesus so smart. 
Verse 15, Isaiah 22 says that there was a, 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 a man who was the treasure even uh, unto Shebna. Shebna was the treasure over the house. His job was to open the doors, close the doors, take care of things. But he got so comfortable in it, he made him a sepulcher there, and he made him a habitation there like a rock. He dug, he dug himself in like the scribes and the Pharisees. And behold, the Lord will carry thee with a mighty captivity, will surely cover thee. In other words, I'm going to remove the keys from you. A picture of the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees. He will surely violently turn and be tossed like a ball into a large country, talking of Babylon, but also their scattering across the nations. There, shalt, there thou shalt die. The chariots of thy glory, verse 18, shall be shame of thy Lord's house. And I will drive thee from the station, and from thy state shall he pull thee down. Here it is, verse 20. And it shall, be, it shall come to pass in that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hekiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe, strengthen him with thy girdle. I will commit thy government into his hand, and I shall be a father to the nations of, uh, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so shall open, so shall he open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a secure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne of his father's house, the father David's house. That's what Jesus was referring to when he said, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys. And you're going to open the day doors on the day of Pentecost, and you're going to open the doors to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And I'm going to bring the message to the world through you. You're going to have the keys. I'm going to let you open the door. And he did open the door. He opened the door to the Jews. He opened the door to the Gentiles. Somewhere along the way, Jesus Christ said, Peter, give them back. I'm not sure exactly where that happened. Probably when Peter died. So Peter gives the keys back to Jesus. And Jesus is standing in Revelation chapter 1. And now he holds the keys. Jesus does. Hanging from the fingers of Jesus Christ. Behold, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And Jesus opens the door, according to the third chapter of Revelation, the church of Philippi, I open the door, no man can close it. I'll close the door, no man can, uh, can open it. And Jesus Christ says, I'm the one that has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And aren't you glad you can shout today that it is Jesus Christ, it is the Son of God, and when Jesus Christ traveled those 30 or 35 miles up into Caesarea Philippi, he was making a statement. All these false Roman mythology gods are phonies. I'm the real article. I'm the real article. 
And upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I used to think, yes, amen, God build a church and the devil beats the church and hammers the church and comes against the church and the church just stands tall. Well, that's true. If the devil comes against the church, we stand tall, but gates don't charge. The gates of hell don't charge. Gates don't run down cities. The first thing you do in the Old Testament and, and the battle in, in the 400 years between Malachi and you go to the city and you break down the gate. You come through the gate to take the city. And yes, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ was not saying that the devil can come, and, and by the way, the devil could. He could unloose all his demons. He could come and come at the church, burn the children of God at the stake, crucify, burn the Bibles, come against the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's true. It, that is 100% correct. But let's see the other side. The church is an army. The church is the body of Christ. And the church should charge the gates of hell. And when the church charges the gates of hell, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we charge God's throne. We charge the, 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 the enemy with prayer. We charge the devil with prayer. We charge and go out to the world and we tell people about Jesus Christ. We tell people about the Son of God. And in the process, we're charging the gates of hell, and they will not prevail. We need to knock a few gates of hell down and pull some people out of the influence of hell and snatch them out of the fire. I don't mean after they die. I mean before. We need to bring people to the goodness of the Lord. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the true article? He's the real article. So, see, if you don't preach verse by verse to the Bible, you miss all this good stuff. There's so much good stuff in that. You stop and think about it. Jesus Christ is showing his disciples, not only in his teaching, but he's giving them an object lesson. He's saying, look, look at this. And I'm going to sweep in the future down through the Mount of Calvary. I'm going to sweep down to the highest mountain, biblically, prophetically, the Mount Calvary, though it's not a big mount, it's just a hill, but I'm going to sweep down across ground zero, and I'm going to bring a river, and, I, and there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and plunged beneath that blood, you lose all your guilty stains, and Jesus Christ is saying, I'm going to come out as the true bread, the water of life, and I'm going to gush out of the mountainside, and I'm going to rush down Israel, down across the valley plains. I'm going to hit the highlands and the lowlands. I'm going to bust through Galilee and, and, and the Sea of Galilee, and I'm going to come out on the other side, and I'm going to hit the Dead Sea and cause it to bloom and, and beam with fish and to prosper. I'm going to be Truly the Messiah from start to finish, I will finish my program and I will sit on the throne of David and I will save the world through my blood. Yes. Death and resurrection. <clears throat> wow. So if you've come here this morning a little hungry, 
Let me give you something to chew on. When you chew on it, when you chew on it, it's going to be so good, you're going to swallow it. Let me give you something that you're going to chew on and say, mmm, and you're going to swallow it. I want to encourage you, if you're hungry today, Jesus Christ can feel that hunger in your empty heart. I want to encourage you today, if you need strength in your soul, Jesus Christ can give you strength. I want to encourage you today, if you need a drink of water that will refresh you and encourage you and strengthen you, comfort your soul, Jesus Christ is that water. He is that water of life. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, the believer will. For Jesus Christ will put in you a well of life, springing up into everlasting life, if you will just turn to Jesus Christ. And so it all begins somewhere. So, well, preacher, I don't know whether I'm saved or not. Well, you've got to start somewhere. So, preacher, I don't know whether I've ever been saved or not. Well, you've got to start somewhere. So, preacher, I, I'm not sure what to do. Well, you Start somewhere. Why don't we just go to the mouth of Caesarea Philippi, Mount Hermon? Let's go to the mouth of Mount Calvary. Let's go and confess Jesus as my Lord and my God. Let's start somewhere. Say, there's sin in my life. Let's start somewhere. Say, I've got my life all messed up. Let's start somewhere. Let's start with the confession, the profession of of Peter Thou, Jesus, thou art the Christ, the living Son of God. You're the true bread. You're the true water of life. You're the God of heaven. You are the certified, legit, sovereign, real article. And when you start there, the river will swell. When you start there, the journey will progress. And you'll find out in the end, if you have Jesus as your Savior, there is no dead end. There is no dead end with Jesus. Amen? Hello? I grew up in Ozark. And I knew where you could drive where folks didn't drive. And they'd build these new houses. And I was like, Chuck, I know the pig paths and the cow paths everywhere. And I remember they'd build these houses and they'd put a sign at the cul-de-sac. Before you got to the cul-de-sac, dead end. And I'd just laugh. And I'd say, it's not a dead end. I'd just go to the cul-de-sac, hit that little old grass road, dirt road, and go to the next area. I want you to know Jesus Christ will give you a river. He'll give you a flowing highway that'll take you all the way. And there's no dead end for the child of God. There is no dead sea except for our sin. There is no dead sea except for our past. We can continue on. Isn't that good? So you got to start somewhere. The preacher, I'm confused. Start somewhere. Say, preacher, I've never been saved. Start somewhere. Say, preacher, I'm unsure about myself. Start somewhere. Let's start at the mouth 
that Jesus Christ said, Blessed art thou, Simon for Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed as unto you, but my Father which art in heaven. Let's start at thou art to Christ, the living Son of God. And if you'll do that today, God will cause that river to swell in your heart, and he'll bring you strength in your life. Let's all stand. I'm going to invite you to come to an altar. You're not coming to an altar. You're not coming to me. You're coming to Christ. And I'm not saying that you're, you're, you're getting saved because you come to an altar. I'm not saying you're getting saved because you're coming to something I've said. I'm saying that if you feel in your heart that you know that Jesus is your Lord and your God, you feel in your heart you know Jesus Christ is the living Son of God. But yet you've never made that move. You've never made that step. I want you to make that step today and come down here to an old-fashioned altar and say in your own words, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I've done wrong. I turned from my transgression. But I want you to know, my Lord, as you bow in this altar, Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ the living Son of God, and that you died for my sin, you rose again from the grave, and one day you're coming again, and I want to be in that number that is blood-washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Altar's open, you come.